need to them. talk about weaponizing white femininity. Who? I have like so many feelings watching this movie. I love it so much. I love it so much. But it's too. so bad. It's like pretty damaging. I don't know. I guess, but it's also so iconic. It's so iconic. It's... Everything about it, it's like dripping with drama. I love it. This but... is, yeah, net negative for Judy Greer. That's for sure. I love Judy Greer. She's so tall. She um, is so tall. What is she up to right now? I don't know. She's She put a book out. She right? did? She's like should I re- raking in the royalties. Should I read it? Yeah. I'm not going to read it. What's it called? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called. You know what is fun about the movie we're talking about today, which is Jawbreaker, is Jawbreaker, the credits are listed alphabetically on IMDb. So it's literally Which makes no sense. Impossible to find anything. You're like who? Who? Who's this person? Cheerleader number one. Yeah. Yeah, right. Wannabe dream girl. Sorry, Adam's um, checking on me because of my migraines. Because I had really bad migraines this week. It's been a week. Oh, no. uh, it's been one yeah, solid movie... week of migraine. Yeah. Tough time. I hate migraines. I used to get them when I was a kid. They thought I had a brain tumor. That's not great. It's, like, hard to explain what a headache is when you're a little kid, too. Yeah, I used to just, like, wake up in the middle of the night, like, screaming because my head hurt so bad. You poor baby! Sorry, I'm looking at um, Judy Greer's IMDb, and she has, like, a million things in post-production right now. What the hell? All right, so we're talking about Jobber. Jawbreaker. What did when did you first see this movie? Probably when it came out. Even though I was eight I years old, I think I did too. And it is inappropriate viewing. <laughs> really, you did? I think this is like one of the few movies I saw, like during the time period it was created, and I've loved it ever since. And uh, it was one of my friends that passed away a few years ago, Patty. It was one of her favorites, too, so we would always text each other when we watched it. I love this movie. It's so good. It's so good. I have it on DVD, of course. Of course you do. Uh, I actually think I might yeah. have it on DVD, too. <laughs> if you saw it went in the beginning. I'm surprised this one came under the radar of your Christian home, because Something's it's like, so sexy. It is so sexy. So, like, fetish and, like, camp. Uh, this yeah. some, I just saw some things by accident, as I've discussed, like Silence of the Lambs, total accident. Like, I just saw some very <laughs> age inappropriate things, like randomly because of accidents of life, and otherwise I was very sheltered. And I saw everything, but it wasn't an accident, and it uh, really stuck with me. I saw a lot of age inappropriate stuff. One time when I was watching TV with my dad, there was a movie on cable. And I don't know what the movie was, but he fell asleep and I was really little and I didn't fall asleep. So and I didn't have the clicker. My dad had it. So there was a scene of someone getting buried alive and I must have been like seven. (laughs) And I had nightmares for years after that. God, I was such a touchy little kid. I wasn't tough like you. Aww. That's why you weren't allowed to watch scary movies, because you had nightmares. Meanwhile, it's me, like, doodling, like, happily, merrily doodling, like, death. 
and knives and stuff probably i don't know like i'm not really sure when my cognitive shift happened because now i watch them for comfort but i used to get really really scared when i was a kid um i just saw a tiktok that was like like an anti-pick me girl and it was like i won't drink beer and i won't watch scary movies or action movies and i'll only watch romantic comedies and like i love romantic comedies but i also love horror movies and i love beer and i also love like shitty i'll take a wine spritzer you know like i think i can't why do we have to be one or the other it just feels frustrating i think we're too old for the like the concept of pick me girls to apply to us because it's like at a certain point what what does anything even mean anymore you know Wh- who are we? What am no. I? I'm just like a meat bag walking around. I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm kind of like surprised that pick me girls are talked about so much on TikTok. Cause I'm like, is this still like even a thing? Like just like let people be secure in their femininity as long as they're not hurting anyone, which probably they are because right? of, of white women. But uh, it just feels like a step backwards, like where. We don't have to do everything. Like, we do everything in accordance to the male gaze anyway. We know this. We live in the patriarchy. We've conditioned generations of men to perform this way. But, yeah, like, we, you can like whatever the fuck you want and don't let anybody make fun of you or call you a pick-me. Like, I don't know. It's It just feels damaging. And I'm going to like IPAs. You know what I like? Dying breath. I like what? to pick... Me knows. <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> no. Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was a pick-me girl once, but Adam picked me, and now I have yeah. to, like, sometimes pause movies we're watching to run to the bathroom because of my GI issues. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fine with And it. that's where we're at. Yeah, I guess we both got picked. I don't know. <laughs> Not to brag. <laughs> Humble brag, I don't know. I think that it was a total accident of the universe, and... Uh, yeah, but now that he's in, I'm not letting him back out. Like, fuck that. <laughs> in your talents, yeah. All right, Jawbreak Air. <clears throat> 1999, directed by Darren Stein. Uh, costumed by Vicki Barrett, Queen Vicki Barrett, who also did costuming for Clueless and Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. This is the... You can see it. This movie's fashion is the epitome of iconic. It is incredible. So we open on a voiceover of a young lady named Fern uh, as four women... Well, I mean, they're girls, like they're high school girls, but they're all like 30. They're played by (laughs) 27-year-olds, yeah. So four women walk down the high school hallway... Fern says, you need to know something about them. They were the beautiful ones, the flawless four. Courtney is the leader, played by Rose McGowan, Satan in heels. Marcy Fox is a legend in her own little mind, the stupid one that's rebranding as Foxy, played by Julie Benz, who all my Roswell heads out there might know as Agent Kopolsky. <laughs> she was on was Roswell? I didn't know that. Topolsky, sorry. Oh, my God. What a shame. I'm, like, shaming the Roswell fandom. Uh, Julie, played by iconic Rebecca Gayhart, who, unfortunately, they... The only complaint I have about the styling is I wish they let her have her big curly hair and they didn't blow it out. 
Yeah, they gave her instead, like, they super straightened it. it she looks incredible. With, like, the... You know, but they gave her weird pigtails. Yeah, it was weird. So, was Julie weird. was best friends with Liz Purr, and Liz Purr was special. And then we see um, the other three girls keep walking while Liz stops to help Fern pick up the books that she's dropped. Uh, everyone loved Liz. She was rich, popular, and sweet. Courtney ruled with terror, but Liz ruled with kindness. She was the Princess Di of Regan High. She was perfect. Fern then says, it's a shame about what happened to Liz. That's no way to wake up on your 17th birthday. We cut to... Do you have something to say? No, I'm like just waiting because I have something to say during the jawbreaker scene. Because it's like... As a person who often gets a stuffy nose, and I always had, like, allergies as a kid, like, just the idea of something, like, like even just duct tape over your mouth, like, I can't just breathe through my nose. Yeah, I don't think you my know? nose like, is at, like, full capacity. She's not strong enough to carry the <laughs> no, whole No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's, like, there's, especially during allergy season, like, yeah, no way. Um. No. Just like I'm a mouth breather extraordinaire. Now I kind of oh yeah. Now that we are talking about, it, I feel like really conscious of like a yeah, <sighs> like what do you can breathe through your mouth. I don't know. I'm a mouth breather. What am I gonna? What do you mouth say? breathers for life? Pick us. Pick me. Pick me. Yeah. Um, pick me. We cut to masked intruders in black shoving a jawbreaker into Liz's mouth. Objectively, an insane idea. Like. Was Cor- I think Courtney was trying to murder her, right? It seemed purposeful. Yeah, you don't, like, jawbreakers, one, aren't supposed to all go in your mouth at once. Yeah, you're like, supposed to casually lick it. Which is weird that they don't put jawbreakers on sticks. But then it's just a lollipop. Right, like, I do love, I used to love jawbreakers, but. I uh, love jawbreakers, I was also, yeah. like, a really, like, especially when I was a kid, I had weird stuff about food. Like, I, I used to eat Cheetos with a fork, and I don't like thing. I don't like my hands being sticky at all. And yeah, That I'm is weird the worst about part so about Cheetos. I used to hold, like, put the jawbreaker in either, like, a plastic bag or a napkin, and then, like, lick it like I was a cat <laughs> in a bowl, like, yeah. <laughs> You're weird. <laughs> I know. Okay, so uh, they put a jawbreaker into Liz's mouth, tie her up, and put her in the trunk of their car. It's revealed to be the other three girls surprising her for her birthday, and Marcy says she's going to be so surprised she's going to die. They take her to a diner and get a Polari camera ready. When they pop the trunk and Courtney takes the photo, Liz is dead. She swallowed the jawbreaker and choked. Then we have the most epic opening credits of all time, which is, like, the candy factory mixing and spraying the jawbreakers, cross-cut with, like, 90s scrapbook-style photos of the girls. I forgot the Donnas were in this movie. But it's Veruca Gasol who's the opening scenes. I love... Well, no, they just mentioned the Donnas in the credits. Oh, Um, yeah. But I love the Donnas. I kind of forgot about them. But there was kind of a fat Donna, if you remember. There was, like, one girl that was plus. And I was like, maybe it's okay to be fat. But then they, like, never really put her on TV because she was the fat one. She was in the back. Wasn't she the drummer? Yeah. No, she was the bassist, I think, which is, like, a very fat girl thing to do. (laughs) Um, I used to to want to play the bass. I have no rhythm, so... Um, I think that was a banjo I just did, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was good. I got it. We're there. So Marcy and Julie panic and they want to tell someone, but Courtney refuses and says she's not going to let this mess up her life. And she calls in sick for Liz. They drive to school like a normal day. Then we see the iconic Ayuhu strut down the hallway. Um, <laughs> Courtney, because she's Satan, is in red. The other girls are flanking her in blue and green. Uh, they go to the bathroom and kick everybody else out. But Fern stops to say hello to Julie. Uh, so it's beauty time. They do their pre-lunch touch-ups. Um, I also forgot Carol Kane was in this movie. Uh, she's really oh she's so good. Yeah. Tragically underused though, like yeah, very underutilized. I'm give me more Carol Kane all the time. Uh, so the English teacher is teaching Macbeth, which feels significant. Courtney is learning about female anatomy in, like, a really epically decorated anatomy classroom. Uh, and then Marcy is in home ec where she cracks a stillborn egg that is red. Traumatic. I, it was a traumatic experience. I and don't I think I was the, afraid to crack eggs. I don't think the egg is as traumatic as the goth girl going... Cool, you got a stillborn, and then sticking her like spindly finger in. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's also like a, they treat the goth kids weird too. They give I know. I'm like, do, are you trying to do something or say something? Because you're only half doing it. I gotta plug my computer <laughs> in. Hold on. Gotta bend over. Especially, so I don't know. You're prepared. The goth kids were also dressed like not goth. They were just like eighties club kids. Yeah, they were like party, uh, party monster vibe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It wasn't like there were no spikes. There should be more spikes. Okay, I got my computer plugged in. Now I have to burp. Alright, so later the girls are talking about what they're going to do and Courtney says she's going to stage a sexual assault. They, she says they'll believe it because it's their worst nightmare. The um, Sorry, there's like a quote here, but I didn't write it down. Basically, the perversion of American youth. Like Liz is like the virgin paradigm and uh, her being like sullied by sex is the worst thing they can imagine. Courtney forgets to pick up Liz's homework from Miss Sherwood as she was instructed to. So Miss Sherwood gives it to Fern and the girls realize they have to get to Liz's house before Fern arrives. They carry Liz in through the back. They really carry that woman like all yeah. the way. Rebecca Gayhart I... says her knees have never been the same. <laughs> Since carrying a whole. Yeah, I mean, they're all like paper thin you know, I don't know. I w- and around the pool, there was a lot of maneuvering up the stairs. And they really yeah. wore the heels and everything, too. Yeah. N- no body doubles. Yeah. No. My goodness. Um, so Fern comes to the front door. She's nervous about meeting Liz because she is obsessed with Liz. Uh, Julie. Because she's in love with she's her. She's in love with her. Julie finds a birthday card from last year's birthday. Uh, that's a recording of Liz's voice. And Marcy screams. For some reason. Oh, sorry. Let me say this again. So there's a birthday card that you can like record a greeting and it records Liz talking from last year and they all get startled. Marcy screams because Liz's eye meets hers and then Fern hears the scream and follows it up the stairs. Yeah. So Fern goes in through the back door. The girls left it open. Like, aren't you trying to get away with murder? Dumb. Dumb. She hears the gang upstairs, walks up. 
Uh, Marcy hears her, but Courtney says she's just being paranoid and says, while holding the card, important detail. Bum, bum, I bum. killed Liz. I killed the teen dream. Deal with it. Was that good? I can sear it into my brain. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Fern hears Julie telling Courtney she wants to go to the police and they're arguing about the murder. Uh, and then Julie decides to leave, but when she opens the door, she's face-to-face with Fern. Courtney demands that Fern tell them what she heard, and she threatens her. Fern sees the body, screams, and runs away, but the gang chases her down, and Courtney manipulates her into staying quiet by saying they'll make her popular if she keeps her mouth shut. She tells Fern that Liz is gone and tells Fern to take Liz's place. Uh, I kind of always forget about this weird makeover embalming dream sequence that's like i love cut with like so it's basically like a makeover scene for fern cut with a kind of steampunk funeral home scene of liz being embalmed it's strange um then we do iu who and the voiceovers yeah yeah it's so dreamy uh we do iu who again but with fern liz's parents get home and do you know rebecca who plays the mom no, I didn't. Scream Queen from the original Halloween and from Carrie, PJ Souls. Oh, look at her, PJ Souls. There, Miss Purr, look at that, Mrs. Purr. There's detectives and forensic scientists all over Liz's room shortly after. Uh, the next day, the girls are in the lunchroom, and Courtney says to Fern, I made you, and I'm God. And I like that line. <laughs> it's, it's like so insane. Uh, Julie has abandoned the girl gang, but approaches Courtney and says Liz's parents came home and they should tell someone what happened. She says she made cocksure no one will figure it out last night and threatens Julie, saying she, Fern, and Marcy will blame it on her if Julie talks. Courtney has rebranded as Violet. Detective Vera Cruz, played by Pam Greer, with like a really bad wig. Like what they did to her is bad. Poor, like, I just, I really, I mean, we'll get into it, but I hate this character. I hate, I hate it too. Uh, so yeah, she arrives looking for info on Liz. Um, cutie theater boy Zach pulls up to give Julie a lift and they start hitting it off. Uh, and then the other girls tell Fern not to talk to Julie anymore. Later, Julie calls Fern. They used to be friends and they talk about their history Julie tells Fern she's scared and they have a moment before Courtney calls Fern on the other line and Julie eventually hangs up. Dane uh, goes to Courtney's house, who has like a boudoir bedroom, um, to suck on a popsicle and have sex with her and the cops arrive to question Courtney. (laughs) I like this part when Marcy has dinner with her dad. And her dad wants to know what happened to, like, his sweet little girl. And he's like, I was watching Oprah today. And Oprah asked, is your child a leader or a follower? And my child is a follower. (laughs) And yes, Oprah, my my child child is a follower. follower. (laughs) The doorbell rings. I know, it's so good. Doorbell rings. The cops are there to question Marcy as well. Uh, Julie is grieving. She's standing at her pool in her backyard and sees a vision of Liz. Uh, Detective Cruz asks the gang questions and pulls out a jawbreaker during each interview. There's, these are like really 
unhinged notes I've taken. I wrote announcement at school. I mean, it's an unhinged movie, so what are you going to do? Announcement at school about Liz's death. Like, I don't think I had to write that down. Uh, Vera questions Miss Sherwood, who tells her she sent Fern Mayo home with Liz's assignments and that Fern herself has been absent for several days. No, like that, the whole thing falls apart. Your legal name is Fern Mayo. You have the same face, even though you're not wearing a retainer anymore and you got a haircut. Like, you are Fern Mayo. You can't just not be. Your teachers. They know who you are. They take attendance. And they wouldn't just be like, oh, a new random student no one told me No about. paperwork. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Fern slash Violet is getting popular. Uh, Courtney says she needs a guy, and they set their sights on Zach so they can steal him from Julie. Uh, Julie comes and says hello to Fern and learns about the rebrand to Violet. So, Julie tells Zach later that Liz was the only one that meant anything to her. It was just games with the others. He says he always liked her, but he never would have approached her when she was still in the girl gang. They go to an abandoned drive-in movie theater to, like, snuggle. It's cute. Uh, Vera then questions Fern, and Fern tells her about how she was obsessed with Liz. And Vera's like, oh, boy, baby. (laughs) You're not well, Fern. You're not well. Fern has nightmares is all I wrote. I don't really remember what they were. (laughs) Courtney calls Detective Cruz and tells her that Liz had a craving for strange men. Uh, And we cut to a dive bar where we see heads turning. Courtney picks up a stranger at the bar and brings him to Liz's house where they have sex while her body is hidden under the bed. And that stranger is played by disgusting garbage man Marilyn Manson. Good lord, this didn't age well at all. No, it my, really didn't. My, my, who, my, my, yeah. Who could have known? So, Violet is making waves. She starts making her move on Zach, but he's like, excuse me, no. Uh, she <laughs> appears to get a free car from an auto shop. I'm maybe... For making out? <laughs> yeah. Underneath a car, he's which like, is not only dangerous... But unsexy. Yeah, and I just don't think they would both fit without, like, hitting the undercarriage. But in any case, she now has, like, a free red sports car. Uh, Zach and Julie are doing their thing, and he asks her if she knows Violet. She says Fern, a.k.a. Violet, is Courtney's creation and that Liz is a part of it. She finally spills and tells Jack the whole... Jack? Zach, the whole story. Zach. (laughs) He says she has to do something. Um, Courtney is taking Dane to the prom. I like the little monologue about him being a piece of nostalgia that, like, won't age, but you, like, you know, look back on it fondly or whatever. Uh, Marcy... That's definitely how you should treat boys in high school. Especially boys like Dane. Uh, Marcy says Fern is out of control. They see her dancing on the hood of her sports car, and Courtney pulls her into the bathroom to admonish her, calling her Fern, and said that she made her and she'll break her. Okay, what I don't understand about this whole thing is, like, this is, like, maybe the least... I mean, it's an interesting outfit, but, like, that little rhinestone jacket, that, like, hot pink rhinestone jacket is not cool. That's, like, the least cool jacket to ever exist. And why is dancing on a car cool? Yeah, like, Like, how is that different than anything else? Well, it's not really a dance, right? Like, it's like a head head bob. I don't know. It's weird. Well, you can't do it without the haircut. I'm not even going to try. I have a migraine. Don't try. Leave me alone. But I'm... (laughs) 
I'm just confused about and then Courtney's like too many people were looking at you and they're supposed to be looking at my cleavage yeah it's kind of weird that this was like the catalyzing event that she was like you're done (laughs) (laughs) so Julie and Zach are figuring out a plan they remember the Polaroid I love this so Julie remembers that Courtney dropped the Polaroid camera after they took the picture of Liz dead in the trunk of the car. They go to the diner to try to find the photograph, but it's gone. But literally, they go to the parking spot where the car was, look around, like, perfunctorily for, like, two seconds, and they're like, no way it's here. So, well, gotta go. Um <laughs> So, yeah, they barely look, and then the camera pans to the Polaroid with some other trash just behind a nearby curb. They go to see, like... Look at the ground, look around, take yeah, it. The wind there's exists. There's wind. It's, yeah, yeah. Car Cars make whoosh. Why would it be know. right there? Uh, so they go to see Detective Cruz, but she tells them she has a suspect in custody, a man supposedly seen leaving Liz's house that morning. Julie says it's not possible Liz was a virgin and someone else must have had sex in the bed. She realizes Courtney went back and found a random guy to have sex with and frame for the murder. Uh, elsewhere, Fern is exposed. She's got, there's posters of Fern with her retainer in. <laughs> and it says, who is Violet? She faints and ends up in the nurse's office. And when she leaves and goes back into the hallway, everyone torments her. She faints again at Courtney and Marcy's feet. Uh, Julie and Zach find Fern covered in the Who is Violet posters. It's, like, so dramatic. Fern (laughs) apologizes, and they reconcile. And then Courtney and Marcy arrive, and Julie confronts Courtney, telling her, it's over. Um... Oh. Prom time. Sorry, my notes got out of order. Okay. So at Julie's, Mrs. Purr, it's prom night, by the way. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. At Julie's, Mrs. Purr has dropped off some things of Liz's for Julie, and Julie finds the birthday card that has the recording, but realizes it's recorded Courtney's confession. So the Scooby gang decides to go to prom. <gasps> They're mocked by the popular girls, calling them carpet munchers, which I'm like, was that, was that really ever a thing, like an insult? It's so weird and gross and dumb um i'm so well to get to it but i'm so confused about the the queer coding in this movie i don't know it is it is really confusing uh i I don't know like what um what darren stein is trying to tell me i think he's just trying to tell me look at these rubber skirts um (laughs) i guess yeah so they're mocked by the popular girls, but they don't care. They're cool as cucumbers. Uh, Miss Sherwood gets on stage to announce the prom king and queen, and Zach is MacGyvering the sound equipment backstage. Uh, sorry. Uh, Dane is the prom king, and Courtney is queen. She approaches the stage and starts to make a speech, but she's interrupted by the recorded confession. Your turn. My turn. Oh. I killed Liz. I killed the teen dream deal with it deal with it that wasn't very good i killed liz i killed the teen dream deal with it i think i didn't have it written down so i like had to do that all from memory and i thought i was gonna mess it up you stuck the landing okay so (laughs) dane uh wait the gym goes silent zach pulls the plug on courtney's mic dane abandons her and then the crowd turns on her it clicks for courtney and she looks at julie who blows her a kiss and tells her to eat shit 
Eat. She's like all teeth. Eat shit. I loved it. Me too. Courtney is stoned with corsages. Her hairstyle comes down and her makeup smears as she covers her, uh, you know, face with her hands. And then my favorite part of this movie when she gets to like the end of the line of people that are tormenting her and she pulls her hands down off of her face and her makeup is so fucked up and she goes, Julie! (laughs) In like slow motion, yeah. And then Julie snaps her picture and we see the Polaroid shot in the yearbook. The Reagan Rhinos yearbook closes and the movie ends. It's also she like, after the photo, she's like, ah! She like makes a little... Oh yeah, she goes, "Ah, ah." (laughs) (laughs) If anyone listening to this, like, usually we don't endorse that many movies we're like whatever do what you want to do but if you haven't seen this absolute gem of a movie please stop what you're doing and go watch it. it is the greatest film of the 1990s it's just like a good time it's just like really fun and campy and pretty stupid uh and just like a good time yeah the outfits are great i love like the color story it's so 1999 it hurts me it hurts. Oh my God. It hurts you in a good way. In a good way, yeah. It's like everything is hot pink, or that weird muted like mint green color. It's like or... such a dreamy color scheme. Yeah. Yeah, like bright teals, and when they in Liz's room, they have those swirly flower carpets uh, that I always really wanted. But and all the got. lighting is great in this movie. Um, there's so many weird, like, images, and the dialogue is great and terrible. Um, I I love that the transitions are so funny, too, when it's like, Yeah, and they make the zigging noises. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. It's a good time. Uh, Yeah, so it was uh, written and directed by Darren Stein, who uh, also did... GBF, which I haven't seen, but stands for Gay Best Friend. Yes, I for some reason thought uh, Darren Stein had a more robust filmography than he does, but this is enough for me. Um, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I I don't understand how anyone can see this movie and not be like, yes, please give this person more work. We need to see more from them. Because that's how I feel. It's like, yeah. you need to know more about his color theory. I know? mean, it's kind of incredible because this movie was a direct, it was like a Sony directed VHS, direct to home video movie. So they had like a really small budget and they didn't eat at the box office or anything. Like they like didn't even break even, but it's just got this like incredible cult following. And here I have a little, a little quotey quote. Um, from Rose McGowan, who I we do we need to talk about Rose McGowan? Very complicated, I don't really want to polarizing figure. I like I don't really know what to do, but she said basically Vicky Barrett is stellar. She was putting Gautier on extras with no budget. <laughs> She's a total punk and is the coolest stylist. Like this movie is iconic, and they made this shit happen with like I think it was like a three million dollar budget, like nothing. That's why, yeah. <laughs> And relatively, like, I mean, yeah, Rose McGowan hadn't, like, hit all the way, right? 
I don't know. I guess 99. Maybe. Um, she was coming and off something, like, they, she was the only person that didn't audition. Like, she was coming off of something that the studio really wanted her. But let me find out what it was, because I can't remember. Yeah, Rebecca Gayhart, Julie Benz, like, Are you who? they've all, Judy Greer. Yeah, like, they're all big names now. Maybe not Julie Benz. She's doing okay. I mean, she She's has, fine. like, five million TV gigs. Um, yeah, she was on Dexter for forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very successful TV show. Let's see. Kiss and Tell, Lewis and Clark. Southie was her credit before this one. Oh, my God. Devil in the Flesh, I didn't Phantoms. Know, I don't remember Rose McGowan being in Biodome. That's really funny. I kind of want to watch Biodome. I have, like, a really weird thing about Polly Shore. I'm not... She was in Encino Weird in Man what too. way? Like, I think he's cute. Like, I have a crush on him. Don't... Oh. Whatever. Oh, what You made me explain it. Yeah, because I'm stunned. Oh, my goodness. Let me live. <sighs> okay, so I can't figure out what Rose McGowan was coming off of that they cast her, but... Um, Had to have her. Yeah, it was, like, a big contingency. So, um, yeah, they um, they brought it to Columbia TriStar Home Video, and the studio executive said, we'll finance it if you can get Natalie Portman, Kate Winslet, or Rome, Rose McGowan. Huh. And they got Rose McGowan. Can you imagine Kate Winslet in this? No, I mean, I can't no. imagine anybody in this but except who's in it, because it's, like, exactly so burned in into it. my brain. Yeah. Um, uh, so Rachel Lee Cook was originally cast to play Julie, but she just wasn't like vibing right with the cast. So which she, one is Rachel Lee Cook? Uh, oh, like from Joe's, She's All That. She's All That, Josie and the Pussycats, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's a little too like. Okay, innocent. here we go. So we got Rose. This is Darren Stein. I'd seen The Doom Generation. It was Rose's first movie. She plays a speedy goth girl who has a three three way relationship with two men. I remember seeing it and thinking, who is that girl? She was such a sharp-tongued little vixen. Porcelain skin, big eyes. She got the film financed. Ew. Well, all right. Weird. Yeah, that's weird. But this is... So for Rebecca Gayhart, she'd already done Scream 2. And Urban Legend. Everybody's second favorite Scream. And Urban Legend. So she... I mean, she was out there. Scream 2 was a huge movie. I mean... Again, Urban Legend has a cult following because it's also such a fun movie. I love it. I would watch it right now. Are we avoiding, like, the difficult things we have to talk about right now? Okay. So, yeah, Darren Stein is an openly gay man. um, And you wouldn't, you would get that from this, but not in the way that he characterizes, like, female to female attraction. I'm very confused by it. It seems almost demonized. Everybody in this movie wants to fuck each other. Nobody wants to talk about it. Like, yeah, the first inst- the first time or the narration of this, it is very, very clear that Fern has a crush on Liz. Everything she says about her, that she was like tracing moles on the back of her neck, I like know. obsessed with Which her. Which is, I mean, but like, I don't think Fern's attraction to Liz is demonized, though. Do you? Like, but 
it's definitely categorized as like, oh, Fern was just like weird and nerdy. But then when Violet slash Fern has her breakdown in the hallway after she's exposed, she's like, well, back then at least I was something like now I'm literally nothing. But back then, (laughs) whatever I was like, it was substantive. And that was when like she had this kind of parasocial relationship with Liz. So I don't know. It's also like the way that um, that Courtney talks about Fern I as Violet is also very possessive and like yeah I think Violet slash Fern's queer coding is kind of innocuous but like Courtney's queer coding is like sinister in like an Ursula the yeah. Sea Witch kind of way you know yeah she's like. Uh, yeah, she's definitely making sexual advances towards Violet. Like, she calls her my Violet, and she, like, talks about her body and how beautiful and perfect that she's made her, which can also be, like, egotistical and, like, sort of self-referential, but, like, she seems to be in love with her. And then she's the one who's, like, pushing her to, like, be in a heteronormative relationship. She's the one who's, like, talking about her relationship with Dane is not really meaning anything and, like, more nostalgic than anything else. I don't know, but while also denying, like, her very... I could also make a case for Courtney being, like, ace or, like, something else. Because does Courtney want to fuck women? Or is Courtney narcissistic and she wants to fuck herself? To fuck herself. So she creates, like, Violet and Marcy in the image of herself. And then when Julie, like, turns on her or, like, resists her pull or her you know influence she turns on julie so i think i don't know courtney is i think like that's another interesting sort of misogynistic element is courtney as is she's a ruler she's portrayed as power hungry and so she's also equated with like the color red being slutty being whorish like you know seeking out random sex with strangers like i think that she is a super interesting sociopath like she's a sociopathic character but having Mm. one of her driving forces be like sexuality when it seems like that's not really true to her character because she's like like slutty and mean but really she's just like a power hungry lunatic so right and the sex that she does have with men she doesn't seem to enjoy no she doesn't like sexual reasons it's she wants to manipulate them yeah yeah and, and then the way that the sex that she has with dane the whole popsicle situation is also really like i have to say that popsicle looked tasty i used to yeah we used to have those popsicles for sure uh hot summer's day but uh <laughs> yeah like i don't know seems also like homoerotic Yeah, I was like, she's going to put it in his butt. But then, like, even though, (laughs) even though I've seen this movie a million times, I know she's not going to put it in his butt. I'm still like, but that's where some part of me is like, it's going in his butt. Yeah, I think if the cops didn't show up, it would have been in the butt. butt. Uh, It probably would have been refreshing. Maybe for his buttholes. (laughs) Maybe I'm just speaking as someone who gets frequent hemorrhoids, but (laughs) like cooling something. Yeah. Sorry if we just lost, like, our five listeners. <laughs> um, Whatever. What are you going to do? I, uh... Yeah, so, I like, mean... Oh, go ahead, ma'am. I was going to say, yeah, that scene is, like, homoerotic, and then so they, like, touch on Zach being, like, a drama 
guy, so they're so not sure if he's straight gay, or not. Right. Um, and then Marcy's dad is queer coded. For as sure, well. yeah. And the way he talks about being a mother and a father. And the, he the watches he Oprah and like Yeah. But really, I mean, it's like a queer coded man that's just like an example of healthy masculinity. <laughs> LOL. Yeah. He's just like concerned about his daughter. <laughs> and they're like, this guy's a joke. Uh, exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah, and then uh, I was going to say something else about somebody else wanting to fuck each other, but we can move on. No, who? Do you misogyny. know? Do you forget who? I don't remember. I forget who I was going to talk about. But. Uh, yeah, this movie, his misogyny is really interesting, right? Because it's. Working, so I found a very handy, uh, quick little, like, blog post written by a person named Angelica Jade Bastien, and it's called The Feminine Grotesque Number 6, Neon Nightmare on Jawbreaker. Uh, and their, um, conceit is that basically the movie sort of, like, starts to try to take down, like, stereotypes about femininity, but then it just kind of ends up, like, upholding the femininity. Double down. <laughs> yeah, it, like, doubles down on them. So, like, at the end of the movie, you know, Fern doesn't learn some kind of esoteric lesson or regret her transformation. She just, like, gets lucky and they take Courtney down, and then she also <laughs> gets to be pretty. Like, the sphere of yeah. influence that Courtney wields is contingent on her femininity, her beauty, uh, her mm-hmm. relationship to, like, the male gaze and what the male gaze traditionally wants, and also whiteness, right? So she's, this is, like, she's wielding this p- power that's specific to her age, her femininity, her whiteness, like, all of these contingencies that we're supposed to be, like, pushing back against in the movie structure, but instead it's just, like, well, Courtney got fucked, but if you are a rich white woman that's beautiful, you'll probably be fine, you know? Right. Because, like, who is our... Liz Per gets the, like, fridged. She's fridged immediately, mm-hmm. right? But she is the, um, like, perfect... Every time we see her, she's in, like, a much more puritanical getup. Like, her fashion is like pearl necklaces and yeah. like higher collars, petticoats, like that like fluffy dresses, Always like light sort pink of 1950s coat. Mm-hmm. And her hair is up and out of like and not like down and slutty for sluts. It's like up in a <laughs> tight bun. Slutty sluts wear their hair down. <laughs> and she is she was ruled with kindness and she was who everyone looked to as like the perfect girl. And she was. And then Julie, who's also, like, white, attractive, tall, thin, heterosexual, because she's the only one in a heteronormative relationship who seems like she does want to fuck this guy. And uh, then Julie kind of becomes, like, I feel like when Liz gets fridged, Julie becomes, like, a stand-in for all of Liz's, like, humanity and kindness. And Julie gets this sort of, like redemption song even though she also like was really mean to fern and also like helped murder her best friend and cover it up you know and didn't say anything about it and julie is also like arguably probably more damaging to fern as a story because they used to be friends and then when they got older and julie got more attractive and fern got less attractive julie cast her aside and then didn't want anything to do with her until 
she witnessed something that was could be damaging to her. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I remember when we were friends? And yeah. now I don't have any friends. And now I want you to be my friend. And also like, just, like, playing on Fern's emotions, like, manipulating her with past traumas, like, past experiences, past shared experiences, while Fern is also still going through something super traumatic because she witnessed someone essentially, like, covering up a murder and then Fern has her entire like existence invalidated by Courtney and then mm-hmm. she has like someone she used to trust like poking back into these like raw wounds you know it's uh yeah it's a weird characterization for and, sure and then Miss um Miss Sherwood Miss Sherwood I was gonna say Kane I was like wait no Carol Kane <laughs> Miss Sherwood. Miss Sherwood with uh, her yes. ugly brown car because she's a poor, ugly, plain faced teacher. Yeah. She wears glasses. How dare she? She wears um, glasses and pantsuits. Get her out of here. Yeah, she's always beige, very beige compared to everyone else's costuming. And just seems like ineffectual and yeah. doesn't, and is also sort of enamored. With Liz. Or obsessed with, yeah, like, these teenage girls who rule the school. This passive participant in just, like, Mm -hmm. utter chaos raining down around her when she's supposed to be an adult in this situation, you know? like Right, and understand what's going on. Right. From, like, a mature perspective. So, in that way, yeah, she's made kind of a fool. She's, like, a jester Mm -hmm. in the movie, for sure. Um... Do we finally have to talk about uh, poor Pam Greer? Uh, and Tatiana Ali. As, and Tatiana Ali, who, I mean, I love Fresh Prince of Bella, or who doesn't? Um, but it seems, I mean, talk about token characters. My goodness. Yeah, I mean, well, this is... Well, yeah, this, so I have a transition. Are you ready? So basically, ready. the same article I read by Bas- um, Angelica Jade Bastian pr- purports that like the kind of feminism this movie is wielding is kind of like a selfish white centric dismantling of these systems of oppression because at the other end like even if you like shut off the constraints of your high school caste system the people that experience true liberation in this movie are still like white thin women so Uh like you can be free if you are able to co-opt the male gaze and the expectations of the male gaze, but only if you still fit within, like, a societal norm of what's attractive. Like, you can only, if that makes any sense, like, you can only reject the male gaze and co-opt the male gaze if you are accepted by the male gaze in the first place. Uh, Right, you can only subvert it if it's something that you're actively experiencing as a white woman. So that's that's where things go a little haywire with the women of color in this movie. Shall we? You look mad. Sure. I'm just upset. But, like, I don't know. Why? Well, Tatiana Ali is an extremely talented actress who played a pretty like interesting nuanced character in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as the younger sister mm-hmm. of Will's cousins. Um there there is cousins, right? Like Carlton and Yeah, there is cousins. His mom's sister's right. children. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um and you saw her like grow up on TV and like experience nuanced relationships and I think she goes to college on the show. 
Um, so yeah. She was, like, kind of having a moment in 1999, but they didn't do shit with her in this movie. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that, like, the other people of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air never really, like, their career, especially the women of the show, their careers never really took off beyond that. Well, it's like um, a gag, right, that there's two Aunt Vivs, like, oh, there are, like, two yeah. black women that are interchangeable They're for like each other. completely interchangeable, yeah. yeah. And not only that, but, like, the original Aunt Viv, which was much darker skinned than the new Aunt Viv. And I mean, you know, colorism on our televisions. What are you talking about? Can't trust any man to do anything at all. But yeah, like, especially Tatiana Ali, who is like conventionally attractive and so young. Like, you watched her grow up. Like, she was a kid when the show started, and like, this should have been a like jumping off point for like a young actress out of like a a sitcom, like a. Oh, like unbelievably popular sitcom to like jump off into like a movie career or like something I don't know not to say that she hasn't had a long career she's like looking at her IMDb page she's definitely working but like how would we she even have Will this Smith. podcast without IMDb I don't know unfortunately on by the demon who rules over this lair um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It just makes me sad that she... And even in this movie, like, she's a token cheerleader. She doesn't get many lines. She doesn't get much characterization. She goes along with the other popular kids. Doesn't have, like, a voice of her own. Yeah. Uh, doesn't get much screen time at all. Puts in a few quips because she's got a name because she was on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but... Brenda. That's, about it. that's also such a, like, whitewashy name, Brenda. Brenda. Also the name of Rebecca Gayhart's character in Urban Legend. Wow. Yeah. Wow. People were. It was a 90s name. Really into Brenda in the 90s. Well, I guess in the 80s, technically. And late 70s. And yeah, Pam Greer doesn't even. She's our magical black woman who's coming in to save white women and avenge a white woman's death. Um, But she doesn't even like save the day. It doesn't even go that far. Like the white girls still save the day. Right, right. She's just there to intimidate and yes, she's um, scary. Like, she's like got like quasi violent tactics. She's masculine because she is all in black with this like crazy fucking wig, while the other like people like the moms in the movie. First of all, all the moms are blonde. Carol Kane's mm-hmm. blonde at this time. They're like soft, matronly. They're stylized in like clothing that you know is, like, loose, hangs on them in a way that it's, like, I'm a mom. There's no body under here. Uh, (laughs) And then there's, like, the teenagers. And then Pam Greer's character is the only one that is in a, like, professional position of power and is, like, wielding a different kind of power that doesn't tap into technically her femininity. So it's seen as, like, masculine and less valuable. And that is something that, like, whiteness and white femininity does to blackness and black femininity you know time after time where like the white version of femininity and like expressing your gender is the right one and blackness and black women have to sort of conform to that you know little box that uh, white supremacy has created and we totally see (sighs) sorry I got a text message I'm very popular we totally see like 
oh, you know, Pam Greer is in a pantsuit. So, and it's black. Get her out of here. And boots. Boots. Uh, it's also like, she's angry. Like, I don't, I don't appreciate like the characterization. No. Of like an angry black woman. Yeah. She seems to like really horrify all these like white teenagers um, and trying to intimidate them with the whole jawbreaker thing. And they're like, uh, yeah, the interrogation scenes are so ridiculous. And like, do we want yeah, to believe to not even. Do we want to believe that Darren Stein did this in good faith? Like he is, a, no. he's a student of camp. He's a student, like he's a nuanced filmmaker. Like he knows like the iconic status of Pam Greer. Like, why did he do this to her? She didn't even, she didn't even come back at the end. It's the other what thing. What the hell? Like I know. Three scenes, maybe. So you know, bad. It wasn't, why? I don't understand it. If he's trying to pay homage to something, to like, you know, this site, like, this like, yeah, sort of noir, seventies noir, like, and Pam yeah, Greer. Pam Greer in black exploitation movies always like, you know, in her Foxy Brown era, like, always like with a firearm, you know, like really in control of every situation, but not like unhinged or like out of control of her emotions, angry. Like this is just such a sloppy one note racist characterization yeah uh and those are yeah the only two people of color in this movie it's exceedingly white um i think you could have swapped julie benz out for somebody else i mean they didn't do much with rebecca gayhart either to be honest Uh, (laughs) she was a little boring yeah she's a little boring Uh, i love her but yeah uh I don't know. The, get a writing partner who's, like, if you want to put Pam Greer in a movie, get a writing partner who's black. You know? Make better decisions. I don't know. Darren. Yeah, get Darren. Get it together, bitch. Batch. Uh, all right. What else? We got anything else? I don't know. Oh, I guess, I... like, back to the queer coding and homophobia in this movie. I think, like, the nod to sort of like fetish culture and the costuming is pretty interesting oh i guess we could talk about classism Uh. oh yeah that fern is poor fern is poor this is also something i thought mrs miss sherwood is poor miss sherwood is Mm -hmm. poor um sorry i'm getting that courtney is poor no courtney is also no i have a thing but i can't talk because of being not smart mouth okay so the effect, like the flawless four, they're wealthy, right? Like they're beautiful, wealthy. The caste system of their high school, they rank at like the top. But I noticed that after, I think I'm like a film scholar for this, by the way. I like think I'm literally <gasps> a genius. After Julie and her like social status is marred by falling out with Courtney, she starts to dress like in much more muted like conservative tones and she starts randomly wearing a denim jacket which like yeah. I feel like the denim jacket is like because denim is like a fabric worn by working class people so like this denim jacket suddenly appears and like connotes her fall from grace into being like a normal working class person and I was like oh, I have to take the I bus. gotta take the bus now yeah See, I'm I a, know, but literally a film scholar. Did you hear that? You are. It's true. Thank you so but, much. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's just like it also the class is weird in this because Fern is poor. They say that, but then also she like, Fern had a great buys outfit. all these outfits. Great outfit on Fern in the beginning of the movie when she's wearing the loafers, socks, big oversized sweater, and like a pleated black skirt. Perfect. Right. They just like made her hair matted. She's needed a brush and some like shine. Just spray, wash your hair, Fern. She'd be yeah. fine. Um, yeah, where is she It's just getting all this money? I mean, I guess it's like her life is being bankrolled by Courtney, right? Is she just stealing of, clothes? It, it's like part of their weird power dynamic where Courtney controls her like a pink puppet. I think and Courtney's house is also really weird. It's like doesn't it's not as like luxe as um, Liz's, Liz's, which I guess yeah. is part of it. Yeah. That Liz had the best house and she was the richest. But, uh, yeah, so it's also, like, you never... And even Marcy's house is, like, they just have, like, a regular dining room table. Yeah. Rich um, teenagers are scary. Oh, God. Who wants to talk to who I hate? Rich well, well, same here. Uh, I don't know. Should we wrap up? It's 9.09 over yeah. here. It's, like, we're literally closing in on my bedtime. Wow. I have to get ready for work. Oh, um, what do you want to fuck this week? I'd say fuck white femis- feminism. Dude, as why won't white feminism go the fuck away? Like, okay, so I'm watching Project Runway, the newest season. Oh my right? god! This, like, so you did you see the season? the episode where they do the housewives? The white women's tears. Well, I don't know, but they do. No, they do the housewives. They dress the housewives at some point, and apparently, oh it's god. very funny. Okay, I can't wait. Okay, but in but the tell me what second, happened. in the second episode, um, the so there's this like you know it's all it's like a very, you know, progressive leaning show, right? Like, I guess, especially yeah. now, post Heidi Klum, it's like that's what I they're actually haven't for. watched it since that. Like, I honestly like it a little bit better. Uh, more of the panelists are people of color. And, um, yeah, there's, I think there's more of a push for the contestants to be people of color and outspoken. Yeah. And so there's, like, a large minority, or majority of, like, um, black people and people of color in the contestants, and one of them is a very loud white woman who, like, uh, so the, one of the black male contestants gets a white male model. I did see But he this. wanted his outfit to be um, like representative of his Haitian culture and he's like it's really offensive for me to put this on a white man. And then the white woman just starts spewing out and will not stop talking and it's so uncomfortable um, and just like trying to be an advocate but not like talking over him and being like such a white woman. Yeah. And then later on um, an Asian designer wants like an Asian male model and she to has do his work. She has that model, right? Yeah. And yeah. so then she like gives it to him but then complains about it. And then the black designer who like originally talked to her about wanting to put it on like a, a black model then he's like, you're so fucking fake. Like, shut up. And then there's, like, she runs off crying, of course, and, like, throws a big fit about it. It's just, like, perfect. It's just, like, like, this. And I love Project Runway I for, mean, like, really doing you it. You know? Really Karen, putting a white woman. You love to see Karen Karening, you know? <laughs> love it, They yeah. just keep coming and back like, and keep Karening more, even though, like, you know you're being recorded. You literally know you're going on to national television and you're going to behave that way. Like, 
What will it? And she just what like, will it take, bitch? How do you act? That she's the hero. Yeah, that's totally. the like. She is the hero of this narrative. Dude. And like, no, you just told like this young. He's younger than her. Yeah. Also, this like young Asian man to fuck you. Go fuck yourself. Like this whole, and like in front of everyone, totally embarrassed him. He was upset. And then because you saw him getting upset, then you are more upset because yeah. then a black man told you what to do. Right. Like it's just so just like yeah. I'm sorry, white people, we are not the main character. You're not the, no. you're not the main character. Just shut oh up. Do you think anybody like, is watching to see like what exciting, innovative thing white people are going to come up with next. Like, we do not have a good track record. Every, like, just shut up. Yeah. Lisa. It was hilarious. Oh, man. I might watch and, clips. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, I. it's on Peacock. Right oh, now. yeah. And I was just like, this is so perfect. I love it so, so much. Crazy. And then she quits the show. Good, yes, no I remember that. Your bullshit. I don't remember her name, but I was going to look her up. But anyway, I just like that's like I said, I mean, I just baffles the mind because like we're in like a decades long like revolution against white supremacy and like it's very visible right now. You're on TV like on a show with panelists that are people of color, black people you're in dialogue with, like, people of color as your peers, and you're just, like, still going to go off like that. It's incredible. Like, what? Don't. Don't. Everybody Stop. shut up. <laughs> Everybody shut, shut up. Shut the yeah, fuck okay. up. All right, well, fuck tokenizing BIPOC, and um, yeah. fuck what they did to Pam Greer. Darren Stein really did Pam Greer dirty. And Tatiana Ali. Uh, yeah, fuck underutilizing icons like Pam Greer and we don't even deserve Pam Greer my god I love her yeah um Um, yeah fuck just like just like fuck weaponizing white femininity like just stop (laughs) keep it I don't know it's hard to like I yeah women experience a lot of like scary things and for sure yeah of, and are minorities for sure but like your whiteness your, is not the only thing that matters your like, whiteness imagine ex- <laughs> protects you from bad things and if you say it so doesn't many bad then things. you're a fucking idiot that not an, even an idiot like you're just like refusing to not accept the reality that like BIPOC women live with every day because it's more convenient for you to just be like I am oppressed as a white woman. Yes. <laughs> Somebody give me an abortion. Somebody. That's the only thing that has ever mattered. My body, anyway. my choice. But if it comes to the body of a black trans woman, forget it. Forget it. All right. You can find us at spooky succubus underscore cast at on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> all our stuffs is there. The link tree has our stuffs. We don't have that much stuffs. If you could just rate and review us, maybe that would be like super helpful. I mean, we don't right. know what we're doing. Um, so with that, uh, next week, 
Happy birthday to Annie. We're doing signs. Yeah. Does she know yet? Oh, my God. Yes, I told her. She's very excited. Yay, Annie's birthday. Haven't watched signs in a long time. Have trouble looking at Mel Gibson's face. Uh, so this should be or interesting. Or watching Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, that's so, But Abigail what? Breslin's in that movie, right? Yeah. Little angel. And so uh, we'll sign off with our sign off that his patented, proven... Um, 100 serotonin, 100 serotonin bumping re- success rate. Stay ugly and get fucked. Stay ugly, get fucked. <laughs> okay, bye. bye.